welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. That's a regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh uh, Church in Jasper. And we are Pastor Dan and daughter Bethany leading you through what will be the last episode in this series, Studying the Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And so, Bethany, we're down to Chapter 14, Episode 15, Mm -hmm. and we are going to wrap this dude up today. This has been a fascinating study. I love this book. I think we've had some rich conversation. I hope people have been blessed. Mm -hmm. So, in this episode, it's, you know, the near, it's near the end of of Lewis's uh, experience, and He's seen all kinds of interesting people and encountered uh, all kinds of interactions that are teaching us a lot about human nature and heaven and hell and all of that. And his Lewis is the protagonist, and his spirit guide is George MacDonald, his, uh, someone he really admired. And MacDonald's uh, responding to Lewis's questions for the most part. And when Lewis asks the question about the ultimate fate of humanity... McDonald answers him by showing him a huge chessboard that yeah. symbolizes the structure of the universe. And uh, McDonald says, do not ask of a vision in a dream more than a vision in a dream can give. So. <laughs> I actually think, so I, I have it on good authority from some people who read this book as a study not that long ago that they really struggled with it. And I didn't really get that because I, because I've read it a couple times and I didn't find it super confusing. But if they had said that just about this chapter, I'd agree. And it's funny because this one's only like three and a half pages long, but it's kind of whack. Yeah. Like, it's trippy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he uses this chessboard to describe it. And it's kind of... It, it can be understood. It just takes a little... Yeah, we'll see if we can get there. I think the most important thing, though, is is to keep in mind that even Jack, with his brilliant mind, uh, will get to the limits of his comprehension. Yeah. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate here is, is look, there, there are certain things we're just not going to understand until mm-hmm. we get there. And the most important thing that I like to remember, and this is not Jack, this is me, is that if we could comprehend God and God's ultimate motives and plans and all of that, then God wouldn't be God. Mm -hmm. You know, that that the very essence of God is that God is so vastly superior to me that there are things I'm never going to be able to comprehend. And he gets pretty close to that when he says, look, it's all so big that it makes everything that we think is big and important on earth look like dust. Yeah. So... Lewis finds himself in the midst of a great assembly of gigantic forms all Mm -hmm. surrounding a silver table with little figures on it like chessmen moving about. So who did the giant chessmen uh, and table represent? So the chess board is described as time. Um, Like that's what the, the actual table, the board is. And these giants that he calls watchers are basically, and it did take me a couple of readings of the book to really get this, but it's basically the people on the chessboard, but the bigger part of them, which is their mortal souls. Hmm. So the watchers moving the people on the chess, so the people on the chessboard are 
men and women on Earth. But the Watchers that are moving them are them, but their eternal version. It's trippy. Yeah. But so it's basically like, like he talks about how time is irrelevant in heaven, basically, like it, it, because it's basically how God experiences time. Mm-hmm. And time is really for humans because it gives definition to our lives, which makes a lot of sense to me because, like, after Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, you steadily see throughout the Bible, you see people's time spans shrinking. I was just sitting here and thinking that that it's almost as though he's saying that our souls are coexistent in our bodies in the flesh in time and space as we know it and in eternity Mm -hmm. and that would support the idea that going to heaven is to go home yeah and if you stay in hell then you've pretty much condemned that part of you that exists in heaven Mm -hmm. how's that for a trippy answer to a trippy question Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah I mean like basically time is presented as a framework which is why i think it's interesting that you see the time span of people's lives go down in the bible Mm -hmm. whereas at the very beginning of the bible they're living for centuries um but i think that that's good news well yeah i i i go i see where you're going with this but i just have a whole other explanation because it doesn't mean that that they're exclusive yeah, but but, but I, I think of it more in terms of entropy and the fact that well, that the world was perfect and then it got broken and God. But fixed I see it, that but. as good news because that means we have way less time. Like we have time on Earth, but we have way less time to need this frame of reference before we hit eternity. If that okay. makes any sense. Um, but so basically. With the chessboard thing, McDonald kind of says, like, we don't, like, humans don't see the chessboard. We don't know that we need to be, like, we can't control our actions on the chessboard because we don't even know it exists. But the good news is that our mortal souls are helping. But it's all in God's control. Um, So he's, he's the boss of the chessboard. Cool. Yeah. So based on what Lewis sees, he questions whether humans are actually free to make choices or if everything is predetermined in the same sense that a chess piece's moves can be planned in advance. What's McDonald's response? So he says that Jack is seeing choices made from a heavenly perspective. Like he's not... He doesn't have the lens of time because he's in heaven. Um, so he's like out, he's stepped outside the chessboard. Um, so basically, like, people operate within time. I, this is like the question from the last chapter because it's basically like people operate within time, so they have free will. But God operates outside of the chessboard, outside of time, so he is all-knowing about our fates. But I don't like the word fate. Um, I've always tried to describe it this way, and this is flawed, because just like any analogy for God is flawed. You, you know, when you try to explain the Trinity, there's, a, there's ways, but it, 
you know, you're trying to describe three things that are in, you know, that are distinct and separate and yet one, you know. Well, this is like that. So my analogy is, is that if I'm flying in an airplane at 25,000 feet, I can see large spans of earth. And I could see someone's car, maybe as a little dot, but I can see their car leaving the city of Colorado headed towards Boulder. And I can see the whole thing from my view. From where I'm standing, I'm seeing uh, the distance between Boulder, Colorado and Denver, Colorado and the interstate between them. And I can see cars leaving one headed towards the other. And I can also see the traffic jam they're going to encounter. I can't intervene, or I won't intervene if I could. So I can only hope, as I'm watching, that somehow they get the idea that it would be good to get off at this exit and find an alternate route. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that's how I choose to look at it. It's like, from God's point of view, He can see our entire life. And so, as God's looking at our entire life, God is also seeing all the potentialities and all the decisions we make. And, you know, prayer would be a way of saying, I've just left Denver and I'm heading for Boulder, God. Am I taking the best path? Would you be inclined to give me indications of what I could do that would be a better path? Mm -hmm. You know, whereas you could leave Denver and say, I've got this. I don't need God's help or anybody else's help. And you get lucky sometimes and make a good choice, or sometimes you end up stuck in the traffic jam or in the wreck. You know, so so that's kind of how I do it. Mm-hmm. I, it's not a perfect analogy, um, but it kind of explains how God could leave us with our free will and yet still know before we do what we're going to do. And so, yeah. yeah. So McDonald reveals to Lewis that he has been dreaming the entire time. Yeah. So why does McDonald instruct Lewis to make it very clear to other people that his vision of the afterlife was just a dream and not the truth about the afterlife? Yeah, um, because he doesn't want Lewis to, like, again, I think it comes down to pride, because he doesn't want Lewis to go back and be like, well, I know all about heaven, and, like, make a profit off of it. Because he mentions these two guys, Swedenborg and Vale Owens. I'm really glad our study author has who they are, because I didn't know who they were. But Swedenborg it says, was a Swedish scientist and theologian who claimed to be able to freely visit heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And Vale Owens was a clergyman of the Church of England who claimed psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. So, basically, MacDonald is saying, I don't want anybody like that. Ain't nobody like that going to make it here. So you can just say, this was this awesome, wild dream I had, but don't go back and say, I went to heaven last night and I know everything about it. Mm -hmm. Because that will get you in big old trouble, especially if you try to profit off of it. Yep. Yep. That's cool. That's cool. So why is Lewis both surprised and terrified when the sun begins to rise high in the east and he hears voices singing, sleepers awake? What is his sense of urgency? Well, so he, I mean, he's been, through the whole dream, he's been thinking that he's come from the Grey Town and he's one of the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the light is coming, he's thinking that he's not yet, he doesn't have that resplendent glow yet. Right. Um, so it, he, I think it's basically him recognizing that he's not one of those spirits yet, he hasn't been redeemed yet. 
Yeah. Um, and he feels the need for that. So I gotcha. That's cool. That makes him feel like there's a big sense of urgency. So using Ephesians five thirteen to sixteen as a reference, what is the significance of the sunrise from both a literary and spiritual perspective? Well, it says but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So, I think, like, the whole wake up, sleeper thing, he's literally about to wake up from this dream. So, from the story point of view... That's about to happen. Um, And that he's not done. Like, he's got steps to take. Because it's kind of... It it kind of, at this point, gives you, like, a Christmas Carol vibe. Like, he's been visited by the spirits, and now he's got to wake up and make a change. Um, And he's ready. So... You know, in in the Revelation Bible study that we've been doing, we talked about Sardis. Yeah. And what does Jesus say to the church of Sardis? He says, wake, wake up. up! And, like, emphatically, yeah. wake up! <laughs> you know, um, and and what's funny is is he's saying wake up yeah. to the church. Yeah. Which means they work for him. That, that they, to a certain extent, they put their trust in him and got the benefit of it. And he's still saying, wake up! It's not about you. It isn't about you. You know, you get your salvation, and then you can live your life and be happy and everything. Because, because it's not just—he's not just saying, "Wake up!" It's not about you, but he's saying, "Wake up!" It's not about this. Yeah. You know that that isn't about you know because Sardis is this prosperous community, and and the big problem the Church of Sardis has is they're rich mm-hmm. and they're snobs. Yep. And they think that being in church is all part of their their, you know, uh, privilege, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, I remember, I, I'll never forget, I, I remember a family um, uh, that came to a church I was serving many years ago, almost 20 years ago, and they came for just a little while, and then they left a voicemail saying, you know, no one greeted us, no one said hi to us, and that really is a shame. But they were especially grieved that the pastors didn't greet them. And why we missed them is beyond me. And finally, this person said, you know, we would have thought that you'd want people like us in your church. Now, I'll never forget them saying that because it's like, man, I didn't think people like that really existed. But this person not only said it, but they recorded it on our answering machine. So it was a permanent record of their snobbery. You know, we thought you'd be wanting people like us in your church, you know. That's and too bad. and so Sardis's problem was is that they were asleep. They they were they were saved by the message, but they were dead in their souls and, and so basically here it is again, you know, wake up and get living. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's the way you live now that's gonna have a lot of impact on how you live then. It, yeah. It you know, um, there's a sense that, that salvation gets you in, but what happens after you get in is a, a lot of it's determined by what you do from the moment of your salvation forward. Yeah. Well, then I think the other piece, like the spiritual piece then of that question is, you know, the scripture says, wake up, sleeper. Lewis realizes it's a dream and he needs to wake up and do something next. And I think that goes really well with Jesus telling the disciples, like, don't get caught sleeping. 
because you don't know when I'm coming back. Um, so I think that's like your spiritual piece is like dawn is coming in the in the dream. Christ is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to be ready. And yeah. So. Well, we have constant vigilance. Yeah, I mean, we have a uh, 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 a world that we're living in. Because uh, so the last question is basically, how was the gray town like Lewis's real life, real world? Mm-hmm. And I get why the question's being phrased that way because Lewis wrote it. Yeah. But I would say, you know, how is the gray town like real life? You know, because an awful lot of us, and I do think that that's the very gist of this whole book is to say. If you, if you choose to live as though you think this is all there is, or that you choose to live as if this is more important than where you're going, or that you're more important than what you're becoming, mm. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it really is sort of an egocentric, flesh-centric existence versus an God-centric existence and a heavenly centric existence you know well i think it's really interesting that the book throughout the book you kind of get this idea that both heaven and hell can maybe look like a continuation of life on earth yeah for better or for worse depending on which direction you've gone kind of depends on what you think is more important um because there's some really beautiful elements of the heaven that lewis describes that seem like earth amplified and the gray town seems like earth i don't know de-amplified well it's a little to to use lewis's metaphor uh, his analogy is basically either looking east towards the rising sun or you're looking west towards the setting sun Mm -hmm. you know and what are you going to see encroaching darkness or encroaching light yeah i mean that's it yeah you know hey guess what we finished the great divorce (laughs) And this is a short episode because it was a short chapter. Because it's only three and a half pages long. (laughs) Yeah. But friends, we've done it. We've gotten you all the way through The Great Divorce. And I hope that you've been blessed by this book and by this conversation about the book. Um, We're going to take a little break. So after you listen to this episode, you may not see any new episodes for several weeks. But we're coming back. Mm -hmm. And while we are on the respite side of this, feel free to let us know if there are things you'd like us to talk about. Uh, any studies you'd like us to take up. And there's nothing really off the cha- tar- chart. Blah. But <laughs> you almost said off the chain. Off the hilarious. chain. And, you know, I, I am like the most unhip person. So I don't think off the chain is hip anymore. I don't know. That, see, that just, that just proves the point, doesn't it? Well, anyway, enough of that seriousness and back to the more, you know, present reality we're done we're done (laughs) and we want to thank you for listening you honor us and we want you to know that you can contact us you can learn whatever you want to learn just start with shiloh's webpage. just go to shilohjasper.org that's s-h-i-l-o-h-j-a-s-p-e-r shilohjasper.org and from there you can do all sorts of things we're always updating it and there's also all sorts of links right there that you can look at uh, current, the current sermon series. There's a link to the live uh, online pro, uh, programs that we're doing uh, in the menu section. It's, there's all kinds of things. You can just just search the website and you'll you'll be well set. 
and uh, and if you are so inclined, we'd love for you to drop us a line. But we want to thank you for going through this series with us, and we ask that God blesses you in all things. See you later. Bye.